The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Bill Gross, co-founder of PIMCO, for an exclusive conversation. Bill, great to have you here on the program. And I, I do want to start off here with the yield curve itself, what it's telling us, and more importantly, as Alex was kind of alluding to, how do you position around this if you're not quite sure, not just whether the yield curve was steepen, but what will actually drive that steepening? Well, let me start, uh, Romain, by, by saying that a, a negative yield curve, and I, I use the two to 10 year spread, which is about a negative 23 or 24. It's been as high as 50 to 75 basis points. So it's uh, less negative now. But when you think about it, commonsensically, when you think about it, capitalism um, and a finance-based economy, which is what we have, um, can't really do well when you can get a higher return for less risk. Um, that's not the basis of a capitalistic economy. You need to get a higher return for more risk, and it's just the reverse now. And so, you know, I, I think ultimately the yield curve has to go positive in order to produce a, a relatively stable economy and a stable inflation rate around 3%. Do you have faith right now in the economy and, more importantly, the folks who are shepherding that economy? Well, no. Um, you know, let's, let me put it out there. Um, you know, the, the Fed has not done well in the past three or four years in, in terms of, or five years, uh, in terms of trying to find that magic Fed funds rate that will uh, neither increase inflation or um, produce deflation. And so, um, you know, are they wise enough now to know exactly um, what the Fed funds rate should be at any point in time or even, you know, six to 12 months down the road? Um, you know, I, I'd be very cautious and I'd, I'd view economic statistics um, like they do, um, but from an investor's standpoint uh, that, you know, speak to uh, fundamentals that the Fed isn't necessarily uh, following. Well, let me ask you, what, what would you do different if, if for some reason you were magically in the shoes of Jay Powell, what would you do different at this point? Well, I, I would stop uh, quantitative uh, tightening. I, I think that's um, just not a, a correct uh, philosophy and policy at this point in time to, um, you know, continue to uh, tighten quantitatively. They should leave the, you know, the, the reserve balance around uh, $7 trillion and just uh, um, see what happens going forward. Um, I, I also think that, yes, uh, the Fed should lower interest rates over the next six to 12 months. Uh, real interest rates are simply too high. The 10-year real interest rate is 1.8 percent, which historically is very restrictive. And, you know, I, I think not only the Fed, but I would like to see 
the real interest rate on a 10-year come down to 1.5 or 1%. And so the way to do that is to lower interest rates from where we have it now at uh, five and a quarter percent for Fed mm -hmm. funds and to, you know, basically balance out real interest rates and lower them so that uh, the economy won't go into a significant recession. So, Bill, if you think we're going to get cuts in the next, say, six to 12 months, are, are we cutting because of normalization to get that real yield kind of at a more normal level, or are we cutting because the economy looks really bad? Well, we're certainly um, not talking about cutting the, uh, the Fed funds rate uh, based upon a, an economy that looks bad, although there are indicators such as the um, you know, leading indicator number that came out today um, and uh, other indicators that suggest, uh, like we talked about in terms of the negative yield curve, that suggest that you know, at some point we're going to see a zero-line um, you know, real GNP and maybe something lower. I, I think, you know, to basically keep an economy going in this finance-based economy that we've had for a long time now, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, um, you need uh, interest rates lower than nominal GDP. That's what drives, you know, basically today's economy as opposed to what we saw um, 50 to 100 years ago. And so uh, with nominal GDP at 5 and 6 percent and uh, perhaps headed to 4, but uh, mm -hmm. we need the 10-year to be lower than nominal GDP in order to continue a, a you know, steady progression in terms of economic growth. So, Bill, in that environment, does it make sense that equities are at a record right now? I'm sorry, say again? Does it make sense that equities are at a record right now based on what you're talking about? Oh, no, I don't think it does. I mean, uh, you know, I, I've got some historical charts and others have provided those for me, uh, Bloomberg being one of them, um, that basically suggest that P.E. ratios of 19 to 20 times, which is what we're at the moment and uh, perhaps a little bit lower based on forward expectations that, uh, you know, a P.E. of 19 times is much too high relative to a 1.8 percent real interest rate. You know, real interest rates were down uh, at a negative minus 2 percent, you know, just as recently as uh, two to three years ago. And so uh, they've risen significantly, but P.E. ratios haven't, uh, haven't really dropped. And so I, I think ultimately, and this is a long-term you know, type of statement and a long-term thesis, ultimately P.E. ratios have to get more in balance with uh, real interest rates, which are you know, relatively high now. That, that certainly, uh, Bill, seems to be a question for those folks who are looking for an entry point into this market. For those folks who, folks who are already invested, and particularly those folks who piled into uh, a lot of those big cap tech stocks, the Magnificent Seven, and even if you broaden that out, basically kind of the top 14 here, is that also a signal that maybe they should be looking for the exit? Well, maybe not the exit, uh, Romain, but, uh, you know, certainly in terms of additional funds going into those magnificent seven or 14, as you mentioned, um, <laughs> you know, it's probably the time to, to cool it off a little bit and to, you know, to put your money elsewhere. Um, you know, that's always a difficult uh, statement in terms of timing, because if I'd said this a month ago, you know, I would have been uh, more of a fool than I might be a month from now. Um, but I, I think there are values in the market. I'm not suggesting get out of the market. I'm suggesting that you know, perhaps you should be a little more conservative, but you need to be invested. Um, 
you know, a 5% Treasury bill, yes, that's mm -hmm. attractive, and I have some. Uh, but basically, um, you know, there are certain stocks with higher yields, um, relatively safe dividends that are more um, attractive to me uh, than the Magnificent Seven. Like, like what, Bill? Are, are these places where you yourself have put your own money? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, for instance, I, you know, I, I've talked about the uh, master limited partnerships for uh, pipelines um, that yield 8 to 9% with uh, a tax-deferred uh, type of status. And, you know, just this morning, Romain, um, um, Newstar, uh, which is one of those MLP pipelines, uh, was... Uh, purchased, not purchased yet, but there was an offer from Sunoco to uh, mm -hmm. buy Newstar at a 10 to 15 percent premium. Uh, and so with yields at 8 to 9 percent uh, and with uh, this type of uh, value and attraction from, from other companies that are um, in the takeover type of business, I, I think that's one clear example of uh, what you should be buying relative to the Magnificent Seven. And we'll definitely get more to M&A because I know remain super excited about M&A, ARB. So hold that thought. But I just want to get your uh, quick take on certain other areas of the equity market. Um, what about banks, for example? What about REITs? What about areas where you can get some good yield uh, and maybe some more risk is priced in there trading really cheaply? What do you do with those areas? Well, I like them. Uh, you know, as you know, I, I've sort of become famous or infamous in the past five or six months talking about bank stocks and how they were, you know, relatively uh, historically cheap with a, a book to price to book uh, type of ratio at a, about a, a 0.5, uh, which is about as low as they've ever gone. Now it's uh, much higher. They've done well. Uh, but there are certain bank stocks that I own. Um, that yield about 6%. Uh, one of them is uh, CFG, another is uh, KEY, um, um, another one, um, uh, Truist, TFC, which is down today. But um, you know, these are attractive type of situations with 6% yields and uh, still some upside, although uh, you know, at this point they're, they're probably going to level off too. Bill, I guess a good question is, I understand why you like those those names and I, why you like the dividend yield, but none of that is big tech and the AI trend and semis. How do you play the trend without buying into the big guys that are already expensive? Is there is there a happy medium for Bill Gross? Well, um, I, I don't own um, any of the Magnificent Seven, although I think Microsoft is a, certainly a great long-term value and can be bought you know, at this point with uh, expectations of, a, of an attractive return going forward. Um, there, there's a stock in Europe, um, in Euroland, um, that's basically the Microsoft of uh, Euroland, um, uh, symbol is EPAM, um, and it uh, trades in a much cheaper value. It, it's got some um, interest in Poland and so on, which are geopolitically risky, but I, I think that's an attractive situation. And, uh, you know, so you can pick and choose, but uh, for the most part, the Magnificent Seven are not on my buy list. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, 
influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. All right. Well, let's talk about some of the other things that are on your buy list, at least what we know publicly. Uh, you have been involved in some merger arbitrage plays, including Capri Holdings and at least a couple of others here. Why do you find just overall merger arbitrage attractive in an environment where, quite frankly, there doesn't seem to be that many mergers anymore? Well, we just had one this morning uh, with uh, Newstar, but uh, yes, I, I think in, in terms of Capri, um, you know, it was just approved basically by China a few weeks ago in terms of the potential going forward, and that tends to be a relatively consistent indicator of what we might do here in the United States. Um, you know, Capri's trading around 40. It's got a buyout around 47, and so that's uh, seven points on a base of uh, 40. So that's about a 16, 17 percent return. You know, over the next six months, if it goes through. So there's certainly some risk there. Um, SPLK is another one. It's uh, it's called Splunk. Yeah. Um, and Splunk, Splunk is an attractive situation but with a smaller total return, maybe four or five points going forward, but it you know, consistently moves higher uh, each and every day. And so, um, you know, these aren't uh, NVIDIA type of stocks, but they're, you know, it's situations where you can certainly outperform Treasury bills uh, with a, you know, pretty good margin of safety. I am, I am curious when we talk about the idea of sort of whether these deals go through. There's been so much talk about some of the deals that uh, either failed uh, because of regulatory pressure or maybe just because uh, the, the, the buyers or the sellers uh, got cold feet out of it. I am curious as to whether it's easier or harder to sort of assess uh, these sort of uh, the potential for these mergers to actually make it through, given the regulatory environment, given the cost of capital to finance it, and quite frankly, given investor appetite, which at times seems to be a little bit tepid for these types of tie-ups. Yeah, I, I, I think it's harder, Romain. Um, you know, there's no doubt the, the conditions that you just mentioned, you know, make it more difficult. But, uh, you know, we're talking about relative value here compared to the Magnificent Seven and some of the others that stocks at uh, 19 PEs. And so it just seems to me that, um, you know, a relatively conservative investor can make a 10 to 15 percent annualized type of return um, without as much risk as uh, being in the, you know, high-tech stocks. Hey, Bill, um, looking ahead, it's an election year, New Hampshire primary is today. Do you have a President Trump 2.0 playbook yet? Hmm. Um, are you talking about DWIC, digital? Um, no, nope, I'm talking about world. if President <laughs> Trump becomes a president again. Oh. What do you do? Where do you go? <laughs> well, well, that's certainly a risk. So, so we have political uh, risk domestically. We have geopolitical risk in terms of, uh, you know, a number of situations around the world. So <clears throat> what do you do? Um, typically, you um, remain very cautious. So what does cautious mean? Does that mean you want to go <laughs> buy the tenure? Is it buy the dollar? Is it get out of certain positions? What, is, what does cautious mean for Bill Gross in that environment? Well, I think it means, um, you know, going for an attractive yield, an attractive dividend that's um, 
you know, consistent going forward. I, I don't really want to mention this because these, <laughs> these stocks are not on the favorite list of any investor, but, you know, tobacco stocks like Altria uh, yield 95 to 10%. Uh, and, you know, the dividend has been raised every year despite the problems with, uh, you know, the tobacco industry. There are stocks like Verizon and AT&T that yield 65 to 7%. And so you can go to uh, areas where there's perhaps still some growth, like with Verizon and AT&T, and um, a high yield at the same time. It just seems like a a better bet for an investor that wants to conservatively, you know, earn uh, perhaps double digits going forward. All right, Bill, I'm going to save you uh, from the political questions uh, from <laughs> Alex. Uh, uh, well handled there. I am curious about uh, opportunities outside of the United States. There's been a lot of discussion about how basically one of the best performing markets out there isn't the U.S., it's Japan. There's been a lot of discussion here about how there is a lot more money that's coming out of China and looking for a place to go in sort of, uh, I guess, the developing world, if not uh, to Japan itself as well here. Do you look at a turning point in any of those markets that might provide, at least on a relative basis, a little bit more return than what you can get here in the U.S.? Yeah, I think so. I'm looking, and I've, I've dabbled a little bit because, um, you know, as you point out, Romain, um, you know, non-U.S. stocks have not done well relative to the rest of the universe. Japan is doing, you know, better uh, this year and, and, and last year. but. Um, you know, there's there's a an ETF uh, by the symbol of VEU um, that contains uh, all or, or most stocks um, mm -hmm. that are non-U.S. Uh, related, and so um, you know it, it's a it's a long-term timing situation in which uh, you know the expectations for this. Um, you know, have to turn around, but I, I think there's value, more value, in European stocks than um, than in the United States, based upon uh, price and range ratios and other considerations. Uh, stocks like uh, Volkswagen, for instance, or BMW. Gosh, mm -hmm. uh, the P/E ratios there are two to three to four times relative to GM and Ford and certainly Tesla. And so, yeah, there are considerations in outside the United States that I think an investor should look at. This is interesting, Bill. I mean, I always love talking to you. I mean, for a guy who basically made uh, his name and his fortune uh, in the fixed income space here, you really seem to have uh, a very uh, interesting view about just the pace of equities right now and the attractiveness there. Is it more exciting now for you to, I guess, do what you're doing? Obviously, you have the independence to do whatever the heck you want now. But is it more exciting, to, I guess, to be more in that space than in bonds and fixed income? Well, um, yeah, I think it is. Uh, you know, the volatility is higher. But, uh, you know, to be fair, I'm, I'm still in uh, the Treasury market with um, puts and calls and options. And, um, you know, even if you don't have a bullish outlook on the 10-year Treasury, which I don't, um, you know, you can still make a decent return by, uh, you know, doing a spread trade up put and a call 
spread trade that uh, over a month's period of time can provide a decent return. So, um, yeah, it's more exciting to be in stocks. And, and, and Romain, uh, one of the considerations in the stock market uh, is consistent with what I did at PIMCO. Mm -hmm. um, you know, st stocks are a volatility type of consideration. Uh, at PIMCO, we uh, sold volatility consistently going uh, going forward uh, based upon mortgage pass-throughs, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I like dabbling in the equity market um, more than bonds, but bonds are still there. I, I don't think I'd ever would have thought that Bill Gross would say that. Um, Bill, before we let you go, I, I would kick myself if I didn't ask you this. We are having exploding fiscal deficits in the U.S. Whoever takes the White House, that's going to continue to grow. At some point, do you think the bond market can start telling Washington, D.C. to trim more fat, like the bond market did in the U.K. with former Prime Minister Liz Truss? Well, uh, hopefully, yes. But I, I don't think the bond market can tell Washington anything. I, I think it's Washington that dictates the bond market. You know, Washington is concerned in an election year uh, with maintaining a deficit of $1.5 trillion or more in, in order to keep uh, nominal GDP higher. And so, um, yes, I, I, I think um, this election year is important, but uh, I don't think the bond market, even under a, a supply consideration that uh, suggests higher interest rates, is going to do much good in terms of giving a lesson to uh, Washington. It's vice versa. Do you think we're going to actually see that lesson, I guess, in your lifetime, in my lifetime? Or is this just something that our children or grandchildren are going to, are going to inherit? Well, you know, you know uh, demographics argue uh, for higher deficits going forward with Social Security, with Medicare, with Medicaid. Um, you know, it, it seems to me that uh, we're, we're in a situation where long-term deficits, uh, as, as far as the eye can see, are going to be consistently high, not just here, uh, but in your land and elsewhere. It's simply a situation now where there's too much debt, and in order to you know, keep that debt rolling and keep the economies rolling on a nominal basis. Um, it's necessary on the part of uh, central banks to, um, you know, to maintain a relatively easy monetary policy. And the same thing with fiscal. I think, mm -hmm. I think one and a half trillion dollar deficits are here to stay. All right, Bill. Really appreciate you taking time for us. Always insightful. Bill Gross, of course, the co-founder of PIMCO, helping us kick off to the close here. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.